entirety last Sunday. Uh, we, will, we will cover pretty much the whole book. We're not going to read the whole thing here this morning uh, in our opening. That We're going to focus on two verses, uh, just staying with the same theme. It didn't change. It's only one chapter, 613 uh, you know, words and uh, 25 verses, as, as I shared with you last week. And uh, I, I titled this morning's message just the continuation of last. It's how to fight the good fight. And uh, Jude, it's a very timely book. It's probably more fitting for today than, than it even was in the day that uh, Jude wrote it for the church then. And, and just sheer numbers of people that uh, around now around the world that need to be encouraged by this. And so we'll read verses 20 and 21 together, and then we'll jump into this. It says this in verse 20. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And here, just in, in two short verses, he gives us really kind of four things that we're going to study when you think about contending for the faith. And, and we'll talk about this again, a little bit of uh, review from last week. But uh, I, I love just the simplicity of God's word. You know, people go, well, how do I contend for the faith? Or how do I know and how do I guard myself against, you know, when he talks about, you know, in, in verse uh, three and four, about ungodly men or women in that case who creep into the church, you know, come in through the side door and are deceptive. And he calls them ungodly and, and it, it references uh, lewdness there, uh, immoral, uh, sexually immoral, but also it, it's not limited to uh, sexual immorality. It's just uh, uh, anything that would lead people away. How do you know that you're in a church that is pointing people to Jesus? Well, it'll come up in every single sermon that you're, you're being pointed to Jesus and not to yourself. Uh, we can't save ourselves. Uh, in the truest sense, we can't even help ourselves. You know, it's, it's amazing to me. You know, the most, most well-known verse in all of not the Bible is God helps those who help themselves. You know that over 80%, I mean, it's sad, but do you realize that over 80% of, of believers believe that that passage is in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. And really, isn't that verse the antithesis of, of what, what the gospel teaches? God does not help those that help themselves. Actually, the Bible says the very opposite, doesn't it? It says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, okay? So we'll take a moment here. Let's pray. And then just walk through this. And I hope it encourages you as much as it has me just studying it, just knowing what we see going on in the world today in all the things. And not just in the world outside the church, but things that are happening, obviously, in the church community at large. When you think about the church global and what's happening uh, internationally around the world. And so, Father, as we study your word today, uh, Lord, we need your help. And thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Lord, as we open up your word here and we read it and we meditate upon it, Lord, may it serve the purpose which, Lord, you desire, that it wouldn't return void to you, but, God, it would, it would perform your perfect will in each of our lives. And, Father, I thank you for these that are here, those that are watching from home today. Uh, again, God, we're not gathering together, uh, Lord, uh, in the truest sense, for what we get from you, but Lord, what we can bring to you, to bring you our hearts and our lives afresh, to appreciate you and to love you, to, to sing of your praise, to adore you, to ascribe glory and honor, praise to you. 
We love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for the message that, Lord, Jude brings out, that, God, you called us, Lord. That, that's how we know uh, of our salvation today is that we didn't choose you, but, Lord, you chose us. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And, God, you sanctified us, Lord. You set us apart, Lord, to yourself. You set us apart for every good work. And, Lord, and especially in a day like today where, Lord, there's so much evil in the world. God, thank you that you're preserving God. Thank you that our lives are, are safe. They're hidden in you. And, Father, I pray for every heart today here in the sanctuary at home that, God, we'd know your peace in a real way today. Because, Lord, wherever your presence is, your peace is there. And, Lord, we thank you so much for that. We love you. We give you this time. We pray that, Lord Jesus, you'd be magnified in each of our lives, in each of our homes, as we pray in Jesus' name. We all agreed saying amen. 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 You know, so this theme, obviously, as I shared with you last week, it's contending for the faith. And he uses a, a term here, and it's a really strong term. Matter of fact, it, it, it's in, in, in the, the Greek language. Uh, it, it's in the present tense, which means that that, that word is in the English language is to agonize when you think about contending. And I shared with you, it's a, it's a wrestling world. I grew up um, wrestling, and uh, I remember you know, one time in particular, after it was a tournament that we were wrestling, and so you wrestled, you know, you had an hour of rest in between matches, and you could wrestle four or five, six matches a day, which was just, I mean, it was grueling painful. So when it talks about agony, I get that. I mean, I've played a lot of different sports, as many of you, but nothing compared to the pain of wrestling. And I, and I remember this, what we had, they were like, you have cheerleaders, right? Well, in wrestling, um, our, our coach, he actually put together, they were not just cheerleaders, they were called mat maids, wrestling mat, mat maids. That was kind of the cute name that they gave them. And um, they would, after a wrestling match, or they would bring you something to drink and they'd bring you an orange. And I remember this one time in particular where I was, I, I wrestled uh, as a freshman, I, I weighed 165 pounds, so I wrestled varsity as a freshman. And so most of the time I was wrestling guys that were a lot stronger than me. And, and so, I mean, being then really physically tired after the end of the match. And I remember this one match, I was wrestling a, a kid that was much older and much stronger than me. And so at the end of the match, I was so tired. You, we've all probably got cramps before, right? You've done something where you, well, my hands were locked like this. I came off the mat and, and I mean, I was like, my hands were like this. And I sat down on the ground and I, could, I couldn't even hardly catch my breath. I was, I was so, I mean, just beyond myself. And I remember one of the mat maids, they come walking up and she's got a drink and, and an orange and she goes to hand it to me and the drink hit my hand and just fell on the ground. She looked at me you know, like, is there something wrong with you? And she went to put the orange in my other hand and it hit my hand and it fell on the ground. I, I'm like, I can't, I, I could hardly talk. I go, I can't. I, I, I won it desperately, right? I go, I, I can't peel it. I can't peel it. And she's laughing at me. She says, what do you mean you can't peel it? And I, I can't move my fingers. And she goes, well, do you want me to do it for you? And I was, yeah, please. Yeah. And, and I, I was thinking about this this week because I remember so vividly how much it hurt. And, and to think that, and again, he, of all the words that, Jude could use, he's using a word that was specific to wrestling. 
to agonize. And you think about, you know, your faith. He's going, you and I as Christians, he's not talking about, well, as a pastor, you know, of a church or the leaders of the church, we're called to contend. This is a general letter. He's written this to each and every one of us. You are called to contend. You are called to agonize. I mean, to there's going to be pain involved with it. We call, you know, the last week of Jesus' life was we call it the passion of the Christ, right? Passion means what? Suffering. That Jesus would suffer for you and I. And we think about, you know, you go, well, you know, I mean, that's not how I get saved. No, it's just, we live in a world that obviously is very combative, you know, and especially with regard to what we believe in our faith. And so the Christian life, like I said, as I shared with you last week, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, you know, every day of our lives, and, and I think when you think about what I'm about to say, it kind of puts things into perspective about living a victorious Christian life. It doesn't happen by osmosis, does it? It, it happens by effort. It's an effort that you and I put in. And Paul said in Ephesians 6, he said, put on the full armor of God so that you could make a stand. Because it really is a true statement that if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. And we're seeing the church in many ways universally, it's falling for all kinds of things. And what I love about studying this particular book is Jude lays out how we can contend, how, how we can know, how, what are the things that we need to do? Because I think like, if, if you're like me at all, you're looking at the things that are taking place in the news and and there are things that can be very fearful in one sense that you're looking and you go, oh my gosh, it just seems like the wheels have come off this thing. Like the world is out of control. And yet we're not called to live in fear. We're called to walk by faith. And so as I look at this and I think about, you know, the theme of contending against, you know, apostasy, you think about what is apostasy, you know, and I shared with you to apost apostasy or to apostasize, apostate, it's a word that means those who have defected, okay, from the truth, or they have abandoned the truth. And then you think about in our world today, I mean, you don't, you can do a Google search on your own. I mean, there's, I remember one of the, the most prominent in the recent years, I think it was in 2019, he, he was a, a writer, he was a pastor of a mega church here in the United States, his name was Joshua Harris, he wrote a book, um, what was it, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and, and it was a really good book, it was about abstinence, it was about, you know, purity and holiness, and, and, he, and he got just, you know, run through the ringer for writing a book like that, because it just goes counter to our culture, right? Well, in 2019, yeah, you know, I mean, here's a, a pastor of a mega church in the United States who's who's made millions of dollars, which he didn't give back, by the way. I just want to make note of that. Okay, he he came to the conclusion that he no longer considered himself to be a Christian. He renounced the Christian faith. Um, he basically claimed that Christians were bigots against the you know the gay and lesbian community. You know, began to stand with them in, in many ways. And, and people, their, their faith was shook, you know, following a man. Um, one of the, some of you know, you know, one of the major songwriters for Hillsong just a couple years ago, you know, came to the conclusion that, you know, he didn't believe in hell and he didn't believe in, in many things that made up the Christian faith. And he said, you know, I'm struggling with my faith. And he said, but I just want you to know, he goes, I'm happy with it. I'm okay with it. Well, if you look at the word apostasy, it means to depart, right? To depart from the truth, to walk away from the truth. Or maybe you never were really truly of the truth, but then once you finally come to the conclusion that 
you know, it's, it doesn't provide what you want, you abandon it. You walk away from it. One of the most interesting stories to me, though, and I've shared this with you before, part of it anyway, was the founder of CNN, Ted Turner. Ted Turner, and it was a really sad story. Ted Turner claimed to be a Christian in the early days of his life. Matter of fact, so devoted to the things of God. I mean, if, if you know anything about Ted Turner, he, he said that he wanted to become a missionary. I find it hard to picture Ted Turner as a missionary. I mean, it's just, I struggle with that, okay? But he said that, that he wanted to be a missionary, but that his sister became deathly ill, and he prayed for her, and he prayed hard for her, and she ultimately, she died. And he said, and in that moment, and I, and I, in my heart, I, I understand that. I can, I can empathize. I can sympathize with him. I, I can, I get where he's coming from. But he said, I no longer believed in God. He became an atheist. And then he said, the further, and this is the key to what apostasy is, later in life, he was doing an interview actually with CNN. He said, the further I got away from Christ, the happier I became. And you go, wow. And you go, and there's a world of that around us. And then because of the internet, obviously those stories get out there and people go, oh, so if, it, if it's good for him. And what Judah's warning us about, and what we're going to see here is that, and it's why it's so important, uh, again, who you surround yourself with, because, you know, as scripture says, bad company corrupts what? Good morals, right? is that what we see Jude warning us of is just a few people, one person. Matter of fact, he's, he's thinking of the, of the leaders that come into the church. He goes, one person has the ability to derail you in your faith. They came in, he says, you know, these ungodly men that did what? They creep in, they came through the side door, so to speak. And so he, he says this as a warning to us, and I just gave you the solution. You go, well, how would I know? How, how, how could I recognize because again, it says they came in unnoticed. They looked just like everybody else. They talked like everybody else. I mean, Joshua Harris for a number of years, you know, talked like everybody else. He built a mega church, wrote, wrote a book that was bought and, and, and sold for millions of dollars. And then ultimately comes to his conclusion that he no longer believes in God. And then how many people shipwreck their faith because of that? And he's just one, and it just keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it's coming. But here's the thing. What Jude is telling us about church, he's going, guys, it's not, it's not anything new. The references that he'll make are 4,000 years old. It's, so it's not that we need to panic. It, it's happened since the be very beginning. Men have been lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. What we're going to see in the last days, though, we're just going to see it as, as he's praying, you know, that God's, you know, mercy and his grace, you know, uh, be multiplied and his love be multiplied to you. We're going to see in the last days that evil is going to be multiplied. It's happening so quickly all around us. And you go, what, what is a church to do? And that's why I, I so love this book, because it's so timely for us today. I'm encouraged that you're here, that you're watching at home, and I pray that, the, that God uses this in a very profound way to help protect you, to bring you peace. You know, again, and I, I love as, as he opens this up, as he's writing, you know, and he's reminding the church of, of, of our place. You know, everything stems from a place. 
I, I had lunch with a guy last week and, and uh, it was really interesting because he had told me that uh, he'd been praying that, um, and the Lord told him that he said specifically, he goes, and, and he goes, and I didn't want to do it. Pastor Mike, he said, he told me, I need to get with you. I need to meet with you. And I need to lay out this thing. He had this vision and he, and he said, I, I think you're going to think I'm crazy. And I said, oh, well, you know, just share with me. And so he shared with me. And, and I told him, I said, I don't think you're crazy at all. I think you're wrong. I go, there's a big difference. I go, I don't think you're crazy at all. I go, I think that you saw what you saw. I go, but you have to understand something. I go, he quoted a passage of scripture to me that sparked something in my mind because I knew the passage that he spoke of and the passage that he spoke of didn't mean what he said. So I said to him, I said, is that the premise? Is that the basis of, of our conversation? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, there's really no need to go any further then. I said, because if you're off from the beginning, you're not coming back. I said, you're just going to get further away. Well, he went to the next passage of scripture. And I said, this just proves my point. I go, we're further from when we first started. And, and it, but it was so cool. We had a great lunch and a great conversation. I spent like three hours with the guy. And when, we, and when we left, you know, we shook hands and, and he's my brother in the Lord. And he goes, and this, now it all made sense to me. You know, because I'm thinking as he's talking, he's telling me this, you know, God, because he's, you know, anytime somebody says, Pastor Mike, God told me to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he did not. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but I go, okay, well, let, let's go through it. So as we get ready to go, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm certain that God, God told me to get with you. And I was like, so how, why, why do you think that? And I, this is what I loved. And it was, and it was true. He said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. He said, I've told this story to all kinds of people who just wrote me off. Wouldn't listen to what I had to say. And he goes, you listened to everything that I had to say. And he goes, you didn't think I was crazy, but you told me I was wrong. And he goes, and all I'm going to do, Pastor Mike, is I'm going to go back and study those passages again. And I go, that's it. I go, that's what you need to do. I go, that's what the Brians did with Paul. They listened to what he said. It says that they loved him. It says they went home and they studied for themselves because you're going to stand before God one day. That's what you need to understand. You are going to stand before God and give an account of your life. You can gather unto yourselves teachers who tickle your ears. And guess what? He said, that's going to be the mark of the, of the last day's church. I mean, you think about it. Jesus tells a, a, a parable, right? In Matthew's gospel, the parable of the wheat and the tare, right? And so here's the wheat growing up. And it says the enemies of, of that farmer, they came in the middle of the night and they sowed weeds amongst the, the wheat, right? And so his, his slaves, his workers, they were going to go out and say, hey, you know, let's, uh, let's go out, you know, boss, let's go out and pull all the weeds out. And he said, no, 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 because if you start pulling the weeds out, guess what? You're going to start pulling the weed out too. And he goes, so let them grow. Let them grow together because what? There's a harvest coming. There's a day coming. So here's the thing today. This, this is a comfort for me and you. You don't have to go, oh, I got to go. Our job is, guess, we should be going around the church trying to figure out who do we remove? Who do we take out? What church do I go? What don't? And you go, no, that's not what he said. Again, verses 20 and 21. He's given the instructions to what you're to do. Jesus, think about this in Revelation chapter 3, right? Just think about this for a second. Remember the seven churches of Asia Minor. The, the women are studying those right now in, in 
Revelation, they'll be getting into that. There's one church in particular, Church of Laodicea. Jesus isn't even in that church. He's not even in it. He's outside the church. They're gathered inside doing whatever that they're doing, but it's not of God. And he says, and it's a wonderful passage. We use it a lot for salvation, right? It says, behold, in verse 20, he says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock because I'm on the outside. That, that, that is mind boggling. I mean, can a church gather and Jesus not even be in the midst of that church? And you go, absolutely. It's happening all over the world. There's a church gathering right now at this moment in San Diego. I was just reading the article this week. There's a woman who's the associate pastor and her husband who's the main pastor. She is a practicing in the field. She is a porno star in the state of California. And she is the assistant pastor at a church that her and her husband started in September in downtown San Diego. And they've built the church. It's a, it's a church for sinners by sinners. And you know, doesn't that just make the, it just it gives you goosebumps, right? A church of sinners by sinners. Matter of fact, I see that on a couple churches. You know, I've driven by them. They got big banners on um, no perfect people here, right? You know, only sinners allowed. And I get the, the concept. You go, but God doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint, right? He sees you as a finished product. Now, we see ourselves, you know, sinners. We recognize that. So I understand what they're saying. You go, but I think if you start to understand, you know, the watering down, then it's, then it's like, there's, there's no judgment here of anybody. You know, you just live the way that you want to live, right? You just do what you want. Case sarah, you know, whatever it is, it'll be, you know, be, you know. And that's, that's what the church is becoming. And it's so sad. But it's not new. It's been happening since the beginning. And so Jude, again, warns the church, you know, look out, look out. And how, what do you look for? Look out for these ungodly men. You know, and ungodly just simply means ungodlike. You know, what does it mean to be ungodlike? Well, they're not ungod, they're, they're ungodlike in the way that they think, the way that they talk, and the way that they act. You ever heard the expression, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, and it's, you know, it's what? You go, it's a duck. It, it's the same thing. You know, it's not hard to recognize the ungodly. It's really the what are we called to do? Now, I, I, one of the things that's interesting to me as we study through this, when I think about that word contend, like I said, uh, for the faith, you know, it means to agonize. So don't, don't, don't forget that, you know, and, it, and in the Greek language, like I said, it's in the, in the present infinitive, meaning that for me and you, what is it saying? To agonize for the faith is an ongoing process. It's not like something you used to do. If you get to that place where you go, you know, I used to do this. I, I talk to people and they go, you know, I used to go street witnessing, or I used to go share my faith, or I used to go do this, and I used to go do that. And you go, well, it's like Spurgeon said, if there's ever been a moment in your life where you're more passionate about the things of God than you are today, then let's just be perfectly clear. You're backslidden. You go, ouch, ouch. But this is for keeps. That's why he says that. He's not playing around. 
You know, what does the devil care if you, if you win for 12 rounds, if he knocks you out in the 13th? Because that's what it is to walk away at the end, right? Is to give up and to quit. You know, I, I, was, I got a thing yesterday, a Twitter notification it was for my son, and I follow him, and, and then it showed the feed right above it, and I don't know what the thing was, but it was a, it was a woman in Canada, and she was talking about that after like 40 years of marriage, her husband left her and she was in her late sixties. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I'm so beside myself. I don't know who she was, but I just written a devotional on Friday that the, I, the Lord just put in my heart, just send it to her. So I just, in the message, I just copied it. And I, I don't know. I didn't go back and look at it. She even responded. I just go, people need hope, you know? And I, I'm looking at this and I'm going, wow, that somebody was married that long and then all of a sudden just quit. After, I mean, you go, man. And, and what devastation that brings to people's lives. And the same thing that occurs, like I said, in the church, that people walk, you know, and, and it appears they're, they're amongst us. You go, but probably what happens is they just go to church. They attend church, but they're, they don't really have what Jude is talking about, go back to the very beginning. What does he say? He goes, who he's writing to. He goes, I'm writing to you who are called of God, right? You've heard his voice and you responded to that call. And you who are sanctified, you who are set apart. And, and what I mean by set apart is you have, it's twofold. God has set you apart for himself and you're setting yourself apart for God more and more in your life. And then that, you know, people go, well, I don't know if I, you know, I hope I'm saved. I hope I go to heaven one day. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Only if what? You're called and you're sanctified. You'll recognize, you go, you're preserved. You know, I, I love, you know, when I think of preserves, I always think of strawberry. I'm just going to tell you right now. Okay. My grandmother loved to can and, and she would send us these strawberry preserves that she made. And they were so good. And they had those wax things on the top, right? Some paraffin wax. They put it on the top of it. And you'd have to poke it. And then you'd get wax in the you know, thing. And it would, my, you know, and it's like, but I go, I get it. The painstaking care to preserve it, that it's safe because it's in the jar, right? You're preserved today if you're in Christ Jesus, not because you're in a church, but if you're in Christ. And that's who Jude is writing to. So he's reminding you, hey, you know, if you want to, you want to experience, you know, the, the love and the peace and the joy of God, and you want this mercy multiplied to you, you go, then make sure you understand that you've been called of God and you have to answer that call. Just like I said, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door, your heart and I knock. Have you opened up to him? If you have, and he said, I'll come in, you know, my father and I will sup with you. You'll have intimacy with God. You'll have fellowship with God, a relationship with God. And then what's he going to do? He's going to start working in your life and he's going to set you apart. You know, what we see with those that walk away, and it's the truest sense, you know, it's that, I love that Pastor Chuckism. I love sharing it with you. He said, if there hasn't been a change, then what? There hadn't been a change. Yeah. Sanctification is the changing work of God. You know, it's like John Border always used to say, I'm not holier than thou, just holier than I used to be. You know, and that, that's what should be happening. That we should start loving what God loves and hating what God hates. There should be a transformation that takes place. But, you know, but if not, you go, oh, you can, you'll go for a while. 
But eventually, what will happen? You'll walk away. Matter of fact, Scripture says that's how we knew that they weren't of us because they went out from us, right? Because if they were of us, they really wouldn't walk away from us. I don't mean going to a different church. People use that. That's the way, hey, if you leave here, guess what? We just knew you weren't of us because you went out from us. You go, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven, okay? You go, my gosh, I got a, I got a job in Albuquerque. I got to go. I got to, well, you know what? Heretic, you know? I mean, it's like, oh, man. So it's, that's not what it's talking about, you know? Walking away from Christ, abandoning the faith. And he calls us, like I said, to contend for it. And like I said, in verse 4, where he says, certain men had crept in unnoticed. I mean, he didn't even notice them. That, that's the scary thing. It's like they were unnoticed. They just seemed like they, they fit right in. But he says, but they were marked out. So God knew who they were. That's the good thing. See, you don't know. Just like go back to the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? Is it your job or my job to weed them out, so to speak? And you go, no. God said he'll take care of it. But there is something that we should do, and that's verses 20 and 21. That's how we stay in the faith. But you recognize, he says, they're ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness or license. You know, so grace is you know, the unmerited favor of God. You know, and grace can be a dangerous thing because we're not saved by works. We're saved by God's grace through faith, right? what Jesus Christ did for me, what he's done for you. But we're not to take that for granted and just go, well, then it doesn't matter what you do. Paul addresses that. We're going to get into that as we get into the book of Romans. Should we sin so that grace should abound? Paul asks the question. He goes, no, it should be the other way. Damien Kyle, one of my favorite pastors, he said, you know, one of the most difficult things to do in this life is to sin against love. Isn't that true? When you fall in love, I mean, you fall in love, I don't care, fall in love with anybody. Fall in love with my wife. You know, I go, I, I hate sinning against my wife because I love her. Do I sin against my wife? Yes. But she usually makes me mad. And that's what she'll do. So, no, I go, no, but I, I go, I don't want to sin against her because I love her. And if you love somebody, you don't want to hurt them. Do we? Yes. We're sinners. Yes, I get that. But I'll tell you what, but you're, you're, you're agonizing, you're, you're striving, you're doing everything in your power to not. Why? Because you love them, because you're in a relationship with them. So important, you know, that we, we understand that. Peter, you know, in 2 Peter, he really parallels the same thought. Some people think that actually Jude borrowed that from Peter. You can read that in 2 Peter chapter 2 if you want to study that for yourself. But he was really coming against, you know, Jude was Gnosticism. You know, that the Gnostics believe, you know, that again, this whole thing of being lewd, you know, being sensual and bringing sexual sin. We see that in the world. I shared that with you last week, you know, that you think about, you know, the homosexual agenda, you know, that's really permeated the church and it's in its I mean, very wide acceptance of it. And the whole thing of, you know, uh, identi gender identity, you know, th these are all things. It's not an attack against the church. It's an attack against God himself because it was God who declared who we are, that he created us male and female. You know, people go, well, you know, just don't care. You know, but people love each other. You know, it doesn't matter if they're men, women. You go, no, it's okay. I go, I look out and every, every guy here I love, but I love in a, in a pure manly way. You go, not a sexual way. And people go, well, you know, I don't understand. And you go, it's not that difficult. Study it out. 
Everything that God does in this life is fruitful, amen? It's fruit-bearing. When he created Adam and Eve and he brought them together, he told them, be fruitful and multiply. I think everybody understands that. That was procreation, right? Well, it's pretty safe to say people of the same sex cannot procreate. It cannot be a fruitful sexual relation. And you now understand why so much through the centuries has been said about even, you know, practicing, you know, safe sex, so to speak. And people go, what was the point? You go, well, God created us to procreate. He did. But he never said, and we read this Song of Solomon, he didn't say that sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in the course of marriage was not to also be recreational. It was, what do you think of, what is the word recreation? It means to recreate, right? So you have procreate of, of our sexuality. You also have recreate, is to recreate. There's a recreation that happens between men and women who are married in the bond of marriage who practice intimacy through sexual intercourse. There's a connection that takes place. There's a bond. There's a recreation. There, it, again, it's a beautiful thing that God created. But you can't have that in any other relationship. Outside of marriage, it's fornication with someone who's in marriage. It's called adultery. You know, it's like one of my pastors, you know, years ago said, you know, hey, our premarital counsel, he goes, Mike, you know, dirt in your flower bed's great. Dirt in your kitchen floor, it's not good. Ecclesiastes, there's a time and a place for everything under the sun. Time and a place. Outside of marriage, sexual intimacy is sinful. Inside of it, it's blessed and ordained of God. It's all about what? The right relationship. So it's not that God is a killjoy and that he doesn't want people to love. He wants to bless us. It's when men and women take the truth of God. We'll study that in Romans chapter 1. You can jump ahead and start studying that. And they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And there's pulpits all around the world today that are doing that. And the church is going, the most important thing is love. And you go, but what is love? Then you have to define love. Who gets to define love? Well, we have the same problem that they had back in Jude's day. What did the Gnostics believe? The Gnostics, you know, for the most part, you know, they just believed that you know, the physical universe was evil. So you only had to worship God with your spirit, right? So you could do whatever you wanted to do with your flesh because eventually your flesh was going to die. And people have that same belief today. They separate their actions. They go, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what you really do with your flesh because, you know, we worship God, you know, in our heart, in our, our spirit. And so the Gnostics, you know, they were, they were made up of really two camps. You had the legalist, and they believed that the only way to God was, you know, work harder, work harder, work harder, make more rules, make more laws. And then you had the liberals. The liberals, you know, they just went, hey, you know, like I said, do whatever you want to do with your body, but worship God in your spirit. So how do we translate to they? You go, live like hell all week long and come to church on Sunday, Right? That's what Gnosticism is. Live like hell all week long, come to church on Sunday. Is it new? No. No. And so what does Jude say? He goes, those people who teach that, those people who practice that, he goes, they're lewd. They're immoral. 
That can be the practice or the instruction that says it's okay. Either side of the coin that you want to be on that. I was listening to Sandy Adams this week. He said this, according to a 2008 Pew Research survey among Christians in America, he says, we too need to be fighting the same battle. Faith is slipping. He said, did you know today that 52%, that's over half of the so-called Christian American, now believes that Christianity is not the only way to eternal life? Wow. It says, when asked how one receives eternal life only, 30% said faith alone. The same percentage, 29%, said it was by a person's actions, and an additional 10% believed that it was a combination of deeds and faith. <laughs> you got opinions on everything that's out there. According to a 2011 Gallup poll, only one in three Americans believe the Bible should be taken literally. Wow, one in three. Here's also the results of a 2009 survey done by the Barna Research Group. Did you know that only 34% of Americans believe that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by a person's circumstances? Most people, their, their faith, many, you know, in our own church, your faith is circumstantial. Well, you know, uh, I pay my taxes here because, you know, if I believe that I don't, so I do this and you can't do this because, you know, eh, and so everything is circumstantial. Faith is circumstantial. He says only 50% believe the Bible is accurate in all of its principles that it teaches. And just 27% believe that Satan is real. Only 40% of Americans believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. 40%. I think that's up. Like I said, the most quoted verse amongst Americans, God helps those who help themselves. This is pretty disturbing, though, when you think about this. And you think about what Jude is warning us about, how ungodly men and ungodly women, they creep in the side door, so to speak. Look at the similarities here between those who claim to be believers and those who don't. The survey reported 27% of non-Christians volunteered their time to a nonprofit organization this past week, compared to 29% of born-again Christians. Same number, basically. 48% of non-Christians gave money to nonprofit organizations this past month, compared to what? 48% of born-again Christians who gave to nonprofits. So what? The world does exactly what the church is doing. 49% of non-Christians tried to influence another person's opinion this week. Could have been political, could have been whatever compared to 47% of born-again Christians who tried to do the same regarding their faith. Less. The world is exercising its influence more than the churches. That's the point. 16% of non-Christians watched an X-rated movie in the last three months, compared to 9% of born-again Christians who admitted to watching some form of X-rated movies in the past same three months. You know, like I said earlier, if there hasn't been a change, then what? There hasn't been a change. And that's what Jude is really ultimately worried about here, what he's bringing out. Verse 5, look at this with me in Jude. He says, but I want to remind you, though, you once knew this. So he's going, you, you once knew this, but you forgot. You know, you, 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 this isn't fresh in your mind any longer. 
that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So my point is there's three examples that Jude gives here that all it takes is what he's saying is, is there, all it takes is, the, is a few to destroy the faith of many. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He goes, uh, regarding what Jude writes, he says, Satan knows right well that one devil in the church can do far more than a thousand devils outside of her bounds. So what's the point? In these three examples, you know, they're the Jews who died in the wilderness, right? So they died because they wouldn't enter into the promised land, right? They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't take God at his word. They rebelled against the authority of God. It was due to unbelief. Remember what happened? Twelve spies go in and spy out the land, right? What was the negative report? How many? How many make up the negative report of the twelve spies? Ten. Just ten people. How many people died in the wilderness? If you had to put a number on it, what would you say? How many? What would you say? Just guessing. Probably a million, yeah. So ten people, just ten people, led a million people astray. You see what why Jude's bringing this up? So you can go, you know, you can go back and and study it for yourself. Then in verse six, he says, "And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode." He has reserved in the everlasting chains under darkness for the day of great judgment. You go, what is he talking about there? Well, you have to really tie that to verse 7 probably to understand it. It'll take you back to Genesis chapter 6. When, you know, you look at this, you know, (laughs) it's kind of interesting. You know, who are the sons of God there in Genesis chapter 6? Angels that didn't keep their proper abode. You know, they went down and what the angels did, they coupled with, you know, humans. And that's where giants were in the land. And God looked at it and went, man, this is disgusting. I've got to just wipe the whole thing out. And you go, man, angels who didn't keep their proper abode. You know, in Isaiah chapter 14, you know, at the fall of Lucifer, you know, what do we see? It says that he said, you know, the five, you know, I will statements, you know, I will ascend to the recess of the north. Ultimately, I will be like the most high God, right? I will, I will, I will, I will. And it says, and he took how many angels with him? It says, how many was that? A third, a third. A third of the angels, demons, angelic hosts, are now, how many billions of people have been led astray? Yeah, a few. So what Jude is saying is, be real careful. Be real careful, because a few can determine the fate of many. Verse 7 there, and it says, And as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So why was Sodom and Gomorrah judged? Ungodly passion, right? That they put that passion over what? The word of God, what God said. They said, I don't care what God says. And again, what do false teachers do? The exact same thing. Pursue pursue lust, pleasure over the will, over the purposes of God. And so what did God do? After removing Lot and his family, got his wife halfway out, I guess you could say, he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, you know, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, 
it, it makes clear that homosexuality was only one of, of Sodom's sin. Pride, idleness. Man, <laughs> you know, you've heard the expression, you know, an idle mind is the devil's what? What is it? An idle mind is the devil's playground, right? Yeah, an idle mind is the devil's playground. Man, did COVID create a, a playground for the devil? Whew. Man, idleness, greed, apathy, they all played a part in God's judgment. And yet, Jude is real clear here. Their sexual perversion definitely was the driving force behind it. Just make no mistake about it. Homosexuality is an abomination before God. Homosexuality is an abomination before God. Now, are there other sins? Absolutely. All sin will lead a person to death. But Scripture calls this out. He calls certain sins out. And again, I, I think when we speak to him in the degree that Scripture speaks to it, and he speaks to it very clearly here. And again, I like what Billy Graham said. Years ago, he said something to the effect, you know, if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Wow. Verse 8 goes on. It says, likewise, also these dreamers, that's what he calls them there, these dreamers, they reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when uh, disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an act, reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Like I said, we can contend you know, for our faith without being contentious. You might want to write that down. You know, in these days in which we live with this hypersensitivity, you can contend without being contentious. What you have to decide is, you know, it's a decision I had to make a long time ago. You can, you have to decide this. Do you want to be liked or do you want to be respected? Because sometimes you're not going to have both. But unfortunately, we live in a world where most people want to be liked. And we know that because, you know, does it say on your social media, if you respect the person, click the little heart? What does it say? Like, 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 like. You can see we're being conditioned, right? Like me, like me, like me. And yet, if you stand up for truth, most likely what's going to happen is, I mean, because all you have to do is study Jesus' life. Did the majority of people like Jesus? No. But in the end, did everybody respect him, even his enemies? Yeah. Even from the cross, right? The Roman centurion. Surely this was the son of God. By the way he acted, they respected him. They didn't necessarily like him. And you'll have to make that decision in your own life. 2 Timothy 2 says this, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient, patient humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. But that doesn't mean that you don't speak a hard word. Jesus spoke a lot of hard words, right? I shared those with you, you know, last week. And that's what Michael says, The Lord rebuke you. Verses 10 and 11 goes on, it says, but those who speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they do know naturally like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them for they gave, uh, 
have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. I and mean, you could just do studies on all those. The way of Cain, you know, he was anger, he was bitter, he was jealous. You know, you can think of that with regard to Cain. The heir of Balaam, like I said, again, a, a selfish you know, lifestyle. He was a heathen prophet. He was greedy. And that his greed cost, you know, 24,000 people their lives. And Jude here accuses all these false teachers of rushing in, you know, like for profit into Balaam's heir. See, what they, they desired more than anything else was financial gain. They put that above their integrity, their relationship with God. And then he quotes, you know, the, or the rebellion of Korah. That do, do what? That just don't recognize God's authority in their life. There's God's way of doing things, and then you can do it your way. And guess what? We find most people in the church today, they do it their way and go, well, you know, thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Nobody's perfect, right? Yeah. Oh, no, there is. God, he's perfect. He said, be holy as I am holy. Without holiness, he said, you, you will not see God because he's made a way for us to become holy in him, to be called, to be sanctified, to be preserved. All those things God provides for us. Verse 12 says, these are spots in your love feast while they, they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds. He's just talking about things that are just useless, like a cloud going by. If it doesn't, if it doesn't provide rain, you go, it's, it's worthless. He goes, what about a fruit tree in late fall? It doesn't have any fruit on the tree. Guess what? It's not going to because if it doesn't have fruit on the tree by fall, it definitely isn't going to be producing fruit in the wintertime. He goes, they're just, they're fruitless. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Again, what does it talk about? Those, you ever seen them been to the beach and it's just those waves that just keep crashing over and over, can't surf in them, can't play in them. And then it creates that ugly looking foam and it stinks, you know, and you, you get there and you take our kids there and they, ah, I go, it's just foam. Like, so I, I, I get it. I, it says, Foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. It says, now Enoch, seventh from Adam, he prophesied. So this again, <laughs> this is no secret, right? About these men saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So what is he saying? It's past tense. He goes, judgment's, judgment's coming. That should bring us comfort today. Judgment is coming. You go, oh, they're, they're going to get their due. Yes, one day. That, that's the beauty of it. God's going to take care of it. You and I don't have to. But we need to do something. What do we need to do? So he says, he identifies, you know, these same. He says, they're grumblers, they're complainers. They walk according to their own lust. In their mouth with great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. That's that church. I'm not going to tell you about sin, right? I'm not going to call you even a sinner. So God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. Free cookies to everybody today, you know. I mean, it's, it's, seriously. It says, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Again, what is ungodly? Unlike God. They claim to belong to God, but everything about them says the very opposite. 
He says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Again, they mock the things of God. You see it in the news every single day. They mock the Ten Commandments. They knock the Bible. They knock believers, whatever they can, you know. And, and again, and I love many, many studies have been done on this. You know, go to somebody who's mocking the things of God and just, you know, say, so do you, do you, what is it about the Ten Commandments you don't like? And you can put it to them this way. You go, which commandment is keeping you? <laughs> you know, you might say, you know, what, what sin do you love so much? That you have to say no to the things of God. Because really, that's what it'll come down to. They go, oh, but I just believe, you know, and it'll be that sin. There'll always be a sin as to why somebody can't honor or love God. And so what do we do? We close with this. What do we do to protect ourselves from the ungodly? Key is, it's no secret. Do what? Maintain your life in Christ. Verse 20, look at that. But you, he says, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So number one, build yourself up. Do what? How do you build yourself up? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing comes by what? The Word of God. Stay, just stay in the Word of God. Do exactly what you're doing today. That's how you do it. Build yourself up. Doing what? Praying in the Spirit. Don't just pray is what he's saying. When you pray in the Spirit, here's what some people pray. They go, Lord, thanks for the food today. Lord, thank you for, for this. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're, and you're thankful. That's good. But that's, that's elementary. What he's talking about praying in the Spirit is going, Lord, what would you have for me today? What did Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, not thy will, but what? Thine be done. Are you praying and you're asking God? You go, God, you know, what is it that you want me to do today? See, when you say, God, thank you, and you do this, it's like, you know, it's like in saying sorry to somebody instead of saying, will you forgive me? If I say, will you forgive me? And most people say, well, for what? And then I have to explain it, right? But if I say, I'm sorry, I don't have to explain anything because I'm still in control. A lot of people, when they pray, they pray in control. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, you, and there is a sense of, of gratitude, but there's a difference of praying in the spirit where you're going, Lord, you know, what, what do you have for me? And you do what? You listen. You listen. You talk to God. And you go, God, you know, I mean, how, how do you want me to do this? Not, hey, God, I was thinking about this, and, you know, and this is what I'm going to do. And then you do it, and you go, wow. I mean, but did God even have time to speak? And predominantly, how does God speak? Through his word. That we open up the Bible, and we start reading, and we go, God, speak to me. Speak for your servant is listening. Praying in the Spirit. Let God answer. Give him, give him time. And you can't do that if you're in a hurry, can you? You can only do that those who wait upon the Lord. You wait. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So number three, keep yourself in the love of God. What does that mean to keep? Does that, does that, it, what it does not mean, it doesn't mean make yourself more lovable. You know? Work harder to be more lovable to God. You go, oh, God, I'll get this out of my life. No, when it says keep yourself in the love of God is to grow in the knowledge of God's love for you. Like I said, the hardest thing to do is what? To sin against love. So as you grow in the knowledge of God's love for you and you realize that he has a plan for your life, there's a purpose. Even in the pain, even the hard things that you go through, God's working in all those things. 
He hasn't abandoned you. That, that's, that's why we understand God's word. Those things that we entrust to him, he'll keep until that appointed day. God is in all these things. And we start to recognize that. Keep yourself in the love of God. Stay in communion with God. What's the song say? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And then number four, look expectantly for the return of Jesus. Are you looking up? Are you looking up? Every day you go, Lord, you know, man, I, then the world seems to be falling apart all around me. But you know what? There's good news. We're one day closer than we first believed. And so when people are struggling, are you pointing them to Jesus? Go, oh, I can't believe what the government's doing today. You see what Biden's doing today? The world has gone to hell in a handbag. Everybody gets that. And you go, but Joe Biden's just a man. This thing was on a downhill slide long before he ever stepped into this office. God's working in all these things. And, and people who are close to God, they don't, they don't become all negative. You become negative as you drift from God. I, I guarantee you're not going to, you, you can't get to heaven one day. You know, you're not going to sit there in heaven and go, man, this is a really nice place. Because that place I just came from, I'm telling you what. I mean, it was just da, 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 da. You would, no. Because in his presence is what? In his presence, church, is what? In his presence is the fullness of joy. Are you in his presence? Are you spending time in his presence? Because in his presence, no matter what your circumstance. So if you're, again, not because Pastor Mike said it, those that they're marked, he goes, you've been marked way out. Those that are grumbling and complaining and murmuring and speaking of dignitaries, he goes, you might want to pay attention. They're, they're either drifting, that's, that's the road, to what? Apostasy. If they haven't reached its end yet. You go, because if Jesus is coming, you go, that, that's not anything to get upset about. If you're in Christ, right? You get excited that, hey, guess what? When Jesus comes, he's going to make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more suffering. My back's not going to hurt, you know, as I'm standing there. Yeah. No. You get a new body, a glorified body. You go, that's something to look forward to. So what is it? Maintain an eternal perspective. And then he closes. He says, and on some have compassion, making the distinction. And what happens? See, when you get so God-centered in your life, you become others-focused. That's what happens. That's why, guess what? So consistent with scripture, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So then he, it's a natural outgrowth. So when you are in Christ and you are enjoying his presence in your life, regardless of the circumstances, he says, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others would save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Yeah. He says, and now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And so what is Jude's purpose in this? Why does he include this, doc, this doxology here? It's not just to give us a sweet little ending here. What does he want us to understand? That God's there to help. That God is here to help. Do you need help today? God is here. 
Have you brought your cares to him? He says, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares about you. What I shared with you earlier is Paul would say that, you know, he will keep until that appointed day all that you will entrust him today. What, what is it that, that you need to give up today? What, what sin are you holding on to that's come between you and Jesus? Reverse it today. Bring Jesus between you and everything else. And Jude writes this. The reminder is he's saying, hey, church, don't give up. Don't give up. We're in the, we're in the last inning. We're, we're in the last round here. And whatever you do, don't quit. Don't give up. Are you tired? Yeah. Can we be refreshed? Yeah. Well, that's why we pray for what? Revival. Revive us, oh Lord, right? Revive us. If you need revival today, it's available in Jesus. Whatever you need, that's the beauty of it. He's a one-stop shop. You know, take advantage of that. That's what he wants us to understand. No, that's what Jude was encouraging the church with. Don't give up. Root yourself in Christ Jesus. Hunker down. It is worth it. It is worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet and pray. Father God, as we go out today, Lord, we pray that, God, you would go before us and lead us and guide us. Uh, Lord, we know that things are, are happening in this world that are so dark, so deviant. Uh, but, Lord, you're still seated on your throne. And so, Lord, help us to focus on the things that are eternal, to focus on you. May we be like Isaiah today, Lord. May we see you high and lifted up. May the glory of your train that fills the temple, Lord, may, may we just see all the things that are happening around the very throne of God today. Because, Lord, as we focus on you, uh, Lord, it just seems like the cares of this world become so less and less. And so, Lord, we want so much to refocus today. Thank you for this book. Thank you for Jude for reminding us Lord, what's really important, what's really worth fighting for. And so, Lord, help us this week to contend for the faith that's been given to us once and for all. It's for everybody, that every person we come in contact, God, no one is outside the reach of your grace because we can look around and, God, we're here today because of your love for us. And may that love that you have for the world, Lord, for their salvation for them to be saved lord may you give us that same kind of heart that same kind of love god forgive us becoming judgmental especially for those that we that don't think like we think or maybe not of the same party that that we uh, associate with god may you give us your heart your mind lord for the world around us people need jesus god we need jesus and thank you that you're here. And if there's, Lord, any amongst us today that have yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, let this be the day where they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that they, they've slowed the pace enough before we go that they hear you knocking at the door of their heart and saying, hey, you played church long enough. I'm knocking at the door of your heart today. Open the door and let me in. I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll wash you because you are called and I will sanctify you. And you'll experience a peace because you're preserved. God, may each and every heart, every home today, know your love. You are so amazing. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed as you go today. If you